0: Welcome to The Edge, the official podcast of Bass Edge, brought to you by the world's leading underground construction equipment company, Ditchwitch. Witch. Proud to support the sports you love. I'm Steve Brigman, and I'm joined by the host of Bass Edge Television, Mr. Aaron Martin. How are you, Aaron?
1: Steve, I am a little anxious because we have Tom Mann Jr. that'll be calling in, sharing thoughts on spotted bass, and then we have a special Inside Edge, as you and I will be going toe-to-toe answering listener emails
0: <laughs> that sounds pretty special let's get it on
2: get it like that one good job
3: i don't know of any other sport that offers the challenge of oh did you see
2: yes that? i saw that, that. was awesome <laughs> watch for the fish to pace the bait what do you think of that huh, huh? That's full contact fishing right Man. there You're listening to The Edge, the official audio program of Bass Edge.
0: man, Aaron, you were hurting me on the way back from Texas. Uh, for you, for your listeners, I've, I've been to Texas to my niece's wedding, and I talked to Aaron on the way back, and all he could tell me was about all the fish he got while I was gone.
1: Well, uh, I did have a great day on the water, but the unfortunate thing is, and this is right on the heels of our last conversation and talking about sunscreen and skin care. Unfortunately, Steve, I hate to say Uh-oh. this. I have to call one on myself. I've got some scars to show. <laughs>
0: Uh-oh, you you didn't listen last week.
1: Well, I listened, uh, you know, and of course I start off the day uh, before I ever hit the water. I, I lather up. You've uh, witnessed this many times. I, I mm-hmm. had uh, the axle grease out and giving myself a bath and the stuff. But I had intended, and in which I did, I fished until about 8:30 that evening. But the problem is, I, you know, I took off my shirt for a little while during the day because it got very hot and humid, and I'm like, you know, I, I am protected, so I'm going to get a little sun. But the problem is, it was extremely windy, and I threw my t-shirt, you know my seats back there and somehow along the way it blew out
0: and you fished the whole day without a
1: shirt i did the fish were biting so well that i do like i said i'm, I'm calling one on myself here but it was either <laughs> that or put on a heavy raincoat
0: that just brings a great lesson and we did talk about it last week but i think it deserves re-mentioning here on the summer but these claims that this stuff is waterproof and lasts all these hours and everything you just can't trust the labeling man you have got to reapply and reapply and i'm taking it you did not do
1: that. Well, actually, I reapplied. The only area that really got sunburned was, I'm just not a big fond of that spray stuff because it gets all over your boat and your lures and your hands and everything else. And, of course, the wind was blowing practically 30 miles an hour that day, Uh, so I just used the lotion. But I did reapply. But the problem is I couldn't reach the area right in the center of my back, so I have this nice red spot to remind me of my forgetfulness.
0: Well, that's that spot I usually get for you. (laughs) Yeah, that's Uh, (laughs) not
1: That's a joke, folks. Man, if you're going to bring us down, don't bring me with you. So, no, that, that's pretty funny stuff. I don't care who you are. But, uh, no, the good thing is, Steve, I did have a great day on the water. And I, I was able to try out that new rig we've been talking so much
0: about. I know it. I want to hear. Tell me a good story about that. Because I want to name a rig, man. I want us to invent the Missouri rig.
1: Well, the Missouri rig could certainly be a good name. I'm going to call it the Modified Carolina rig, for lack of a better term, And just for those listeners who perhaps have no clue of what we're talking about, you know, it's the idea that I came up with uh, was introduced by a friend of mine. uh, So I take no credit to this. It's just something that I went out and tried. But taking a football jig and using that in place of the weight that is normally placed on a Carolina rig. Then, essentially, I take a swivel, slide a uh, piece of surgical tubing over that, and tie my leader off of the end of the swivel, which is connected on the hook. And hence, uh, I have a leader with a uh, weightless plastic bait that's attached to the end of it, but I I did have some learning moments while I was out there, Steve, because it it wasn't as easy in getting the momentum going, I should say that.
0: Well, talk to me a little bit more specifically, because I didn't quite get that. Now, you use the swivels. Are you doing that on the hook of the bait or up above the bait?
1: No, I'm actually, I'm, I'm tying my line, the main line that comes off the end of the rod and out of the reel to the football jig. Then I'm taking the swivel and the surgical tubing and sliding that over the barb of the hook on the jig, so it's kind uh-huh. of in line, and then I attach, you know, a swivel has two connections. Uh, then I attach my leader to the remaining end of the swivel.
0: Okay, that's cool. Yeah, surgical to me. Also, just wires, just strip wires and pull the copper out. That works real good on those too. But uh, talk to me, man. What'd you catch?
1: I, I did not intend this way, but it was predominantly all smallmouth. Which, of course, you know, that's that's just terrible to go out and catch a bunch of small. Oh,
0: I hate when that happens. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh yeah, don't we all?
0: And you know I'm a big fan of the smallmouth.
1: I absolutely love the smallmouth. And you know, the, the interesting thing I was I found them in six to twelve feet of water. The water's a little bit murky, of course. I really think we're still about three to four weeks behind from where we're normally at the water temperatures in the upper seventies. So catching them shallow was even more of a benefit. But I never was able to hook up to where I had two on at the time. Remember that was kind of the one of the lures of, of Man. actually trying that.
0: Now that's pretty greedy right there now. Oh, didn't catch two fish at a time you well know, it's I'm not greedy i mean it, it you know it's breaking something. my heart I'd, i was driving through oklahoma at the time so
1: <laughs> yeah I, I'm, I'm sure you were feeling my pain but <laughs> i did actually catch them my better fish actually came on the jig portion and then obviously I, I caught my numbers on the carolina rig so it was interesting to see how they reacted to you know one bait being obviously a little higher in the water column and the other bait obviously being on the bottom
0: when we were talking uh, on the drive back one of the things we mentioned i ended up drifting that behind the hill there and we got cut off but you'd mentioned the depth you were catching these fish and i and I was thinking man weird. i figured we'd be a little behind but we're significantly behind and i was wondering i know you're this big log keeper i know you looked at your log and saw how that all plugged in to what happened in the past am i right are we behind
1: oh we absolutely are and and my records are showing about like i said about that three to four week time zone and then i also had to stop up at the bait shop where some of the guides and stuff hang out to pick up some supplies and they confirm the exact same thing you know because traditionally I'm a, I'm a deep water fisherman I love getting out with a drop shot and going and targeting these fish but I'm telling you Steve it is like the dead sea out there all of the bait fish and the fish are holding still in the shallows and you know that's a good thing but um, the other thing that I want to bring up before we run out of time here is a couple lessons learned on that you know I used we, we talk a lot about the line properties and the differences in the line and I elected to start out with using a six pound performance braid as the leader. And this is a very, very small diameter line, but there's zero stretch. The other thing is that obviously we know that braid floats, so I wanted to give that added buoyancy. The thing that I didn't account for is the fact that when you're making that cast, you know, and this thing is helicoptering through the air, that braid will cut that hybrid monofilament copolymer line that I was using as my main line. So I did have some line failures as a result of, mm-hmm. of user error.
0: Well we just have to fine tune the old Missouri rig or the Aaron Martin rig or whatever going to call
1: it. <laughs> well, I, I did go back and fine-tune and I changed that leader and, and the other thing that I realized is when you've got a big three-quarter ounce to an ounce football jig and then you've got this weightless bait behind, smallmouth are just ferocious. They have that head shake and they have very strong mouths. So two things that worked against me there. I had to do a little experimenting with my hooks because I was actually losing some fish. You get the, those fish mm-hmm. up close to the top of the water, they start jumping, they're going to throw those because trying to drive a hook through their mouth is is pretty hard, you know, when you have these this two bait scenario. So what I did, I ended up settling on a one knot offset round bend and that was because mm-hmm. that, that hook is bent just a little bit. So when they get to shaking their head and that, it's going to provide kind of a, a sense of security in keeping that hook drilled to the side of their mouth. The other thing that I learned is you want to really keep that tip of the rod down to try and keep those fish from jumping because if they're hooked on that back bait and they get that head shake going, what happens is you have this jig that's up above it and it gives them so much leverage to counteract that hook that's stuck in the side of their mouth and they can throw it. You know,
0: that was a lot of information. I think you're going to have to show me what i like to suggest. I want to do this here on the air so I can pin you down you want to we know but i know we're having a bass edge meeting down your house this week and executive producer don hertz is coming over what do you say we go out and uh have a conference on the lake have a business meeting out there on the lake yeah
1: you know it, it's a tough job steve but somebody's got to do it i, somebody's I guess i gotta I'll, do it <laughs> i'll make i'll make the sacrifice and take one for the team
0: what a guy well, i tell you what i'm looking forward to that but i'm also looking forward to the next interview with tom Mann jr so let's pay a few bills and we'll be right back with tom Mann jr
2: you've got the truck you got the toys. Now it's time to get the hitch that gives you more time to play with both. It's the Tow and Stow Receiver Hitch by b You want options? Select the ball size, adjust the height to level the trailer, or stow it out of the way in just seconds. It's 10,000 towing pounds worth of durability, convenience, and the latest technology that has made b famous. The Tow and Stow Receiver Hitch by b Call 1-866-BEST-HITCH. Welcome back to The Edge. Brought to you in part by Ditch Witches Zod. Establishing a new standard in trencher power and versatility.
1: Welcome back the edge. You know, when hitting the water, most of us assume indifference when it comes to the species of bass responding on the end of our line. But for those of us fortunate enough to have landed a healthy spotted bass, realize there is a definite distinction. Joining us today is a veteran angler who knows spotted bass and has qualified for the Bassmasters Classic nine times and the FLW Championship six times. And that is none other than Tom Mann Jr., Tom, welcome to the edge.
3: Aaron, it's good to be here. Glad to maybe share some uh insight on the spotted bass for the folks out there. Well we are looking forward to that.
1: And I know Tom, you were raised really in Middle Georgia and joined your first bass club, I think, at that age sixteen. You know, what prompted your interest in this sport at such an early age?
3: Well, you know, I grew up uh in a pretty rural area and I hunted and fished all my life, and that's really all I did. And throughout uh, school, I, you know, played several different sports. I, you know, was always just like to compete and was competitive. And. You know, I just like to, to fish so much that I joined a bass club. Uh, you know, I, I found a way to uh, compete and be competitive, but then, you know, do the sport that I love, which was fishing. Uh, and it was just a perfect match for me. You know, I just love being in the outdoors. And golf's my hobby. And, and golf to me is a lot like fishing. You know, you're always kind of out there with your buddies. You're in a beautiful place. You're in a different setting, you know, a different lake or a different golf course, and, and so on and so forth. But anyway, it was just a kind of a natural progression for me, just, you know, being competitive and, and, and loving the outdoors.
1: Well, and, and- there is a lot of similarities between golf and fishing and I think you know a lot of us are are drawn to those sports because of not only the the physical challenges that they present but also the mental challenges and you know whether we're tournament anglers or recreational anglers what insight can you offer to those of us maybe that's you know just getting into the sport
3: well you know the guy that I really looked up to uh I guess the most when I was kind of coming up you know I've been doing this full-time for 27 years now so I've been around you know most all the I guess you what you'd call legends of, of bass fishing, the guys, the frontier guys that really, uh, you know, made the sport what it is today. But I always looked up to Rick Clunn because, you know, not obviously with a great angler, accomplished everything about you could co- accomplish. But to me, what Rick had above everybody was the mental part of, of bass fishing. You know, I heard him speak one time, and, and I just never forgot this. And, you know, when I get out there, in my early part of my career, I would get out there, and, you know, I thought I was pretty mentally prepared to do it and so on and so forth. But, you know, i get out there, and I'd, have, I'd start having a, a, a tough day. And, you know, I hadn't had a bite in a couple of hours, and, and uh, you know, my mind would start wondering what was going on at home or, you know, just whatever. And, and, and all of a sudden I'd get a bite and I wouldn't be prepared, you know, and I'd miss the fish. And I always, one true statement that, that Rick Klein said, and it, it holds true today, and I, I, I try to tell myself even now, you know, over and over that, you know, Rick, I, I truly believe that he thinks he's going to catch a bass on the next cast. Even though he hadn't had a bite, let's say, you know, in two or three hours. When I click this real handle and I cast it out, I'm going to get bit this next time and it you know keeps that that frame of mind throughout the whole day and when it does happen, he's prepared for it. I think it's just the mental side of bass fishing. You cannot get too mentally prepared to go competitively bass fishing. That would be the number one thing I could tell uh, anybody, because, you know, the knowledge is out there, Aaron. You know, you can get on the Internet now and, and learn what it's taken me my whole life to learn as far as, you know, offshore deep structure fishing with the GPSs and all the good information's out there now. You know, it's, it's always been laid out in front of anybody. You know, a young man coming up now that wants to get into sport, if he can almost do in the classroom get, you know, 80% of the, you know, the knowledge of all these lakes and rivers that we've fished all these years, it's all laid out there now. You know, you can study bass fishing now just like you could any other thing that you'd want to study in school, and you know most of it, you know. But there's nothing that will replace time on the water, obviously. You know, fishing is maybe more so than any other sport. It's experience and time out there. Uh, Even though you are mentally prepared and you've you've done all the studying, you know, there's just going to be little things that happen on that water all the time that you got to react to and uh, until that comes natural to you, you you know you don't have to i wonder what i need to do right now in this situation you know it's gotten windy where it was calm it's gotten sunny where it was overcast so on and so forth you know uh, it's if the water temperature dropped five degrees or whatever it did so all those little uh, variables and factors become natural to you you know it's uh, it's going to be pretty tough for you so you know I, I don't know i you know for me just number one thing would be getting mentally prepared you know because it is a tough sport it's you know it's tough weather, the you know the bike comes and goes and And a lot of things happen out there. It just doesn't go your way most of the time, to be honest. You know, it goes the other way, but you've got to be, you know, mentally prepared to handle that and adjust to it.
1: Well, I think that's great advice. And and speaking of that awareness and some of those factors that kind of come into our psyche throughout the course of the day, you know, really, when you look at the sport, the cost of participating, meaning, you know, tackle, equipment, travel, and not even counting from a, you know, a competitive situation of tournament entry fees and all that, it seems to be on the rise. And of course, we're in one of the worst economic, you know, conditions that uh, certainly I've seen in my lifetime. Any advice on how to remove some of that intimidation, but also be able to manage our budget while we're trying to, um, you know, pursue our passion?
3: Aaron, I've been doing this. I fished my first Bassmaster Classics in uh, 1984. So, you know, I've been doing it a long time. And throughout that whole time, I've seen some ups and downs, you know, in the fishing industry and so on in the economy itself. But Obviously, I don't think anybody I've certainly not seen it in my lifetime uh, anything that that's uh, going on quite like what's going on today. You know what I'm doing is of course i'm you know I'm trying to kind of stay more on a tight budget where you know used to you might do some things that you know that might cost a little more money than this and that and whatever around fishing you know I'm trying to I'm trying to stay more on a budget as far as that goes but I think the number one thing for me right now for sure is really bearing down and taking care of my sponsors in every way that I can and uh, I mean going way above and beyond doing things for them right now where when when this thing does start creeping out you know, they're, you're going to be on the top of that list, and they're going to remember what you're doing right now. You know, uh, Tom did. You know, he went and did this, and he really didn't have to, but he did it for us. And you know, whatever, whatever it may be, every every way that you can, to uh, certainly try to keep what sponsors you already have. Now, acquiring new sponsors right now, I'll just tell you, is is right this side of being impossible. You can't really even talk to a sponsor right now. I mean. Until this thing comes out, I mean, you know, when companies are are laying people off, uh, they're laying their employees off. They're they're just not going to hire any promotional people. I can just tell you, no matter who it is or what, you know, what the situation is. And you know, we just we just all got to get through that. I mean, it's like being in any other business. I don't care what what you do for a living right now. This thing's affected everybody. But you know, the thing I would just say is just, uh, you know, if you do if you do have a, uh, you know, you got a lure sponsor, line sponsor, whatever, boat motor, whatever. You know, go out and do a little extra work for them right now, and and, uh, I think they'll remember that. And there's going to come times when they're going to start laying those folks off, and they're going to lay lay fishermen off just like they do everything else. And uh, you know, they'll remember those you know extra things that you do.
1: Well, that's that's good advice, Tom. And you know, kind of changing gears now. It's it's really no secret that you are it's almost loosely defined to say that you love spotted bass but why do you have such an affection for the species
3: well a couple of reasons I guess you know I i, I kind of grew up I live here on Lake Lanier and, and what I consider the best spotted bass fishery in the world and you know of course I'm surely I'm a little prejudiced because I live here but you know really quality and quantity we have the size and the numbers uh, I don't think anywhere in the country can can beat it but, uh, you know, I grew up here. I started fishing. I joined my first bass club. It was right here on this lake and, you know, most of their terms were fished here. I started my competitive bass fishing on Lake Vanier. The population's about 80% spots, 20% largemouth. So, you know, basically all the time you're fishing for spots. And I learned how, you know, those, all those deep offshore Techniques and uh, light line techniques on spotted bass. It's, it's a fierce fish, a really a mean fighting fish. He, he's a lot of fun. He's a fish that uh, at times can be a little harder to catch than, than most because they tend to live offshore. That they tend to suspend a lot, which you and I both know is, is about the hardest fish in the world to catch. You know, and I don't know. I, I think it's really helped me. You know, in my bass fishing career, kind of coming up tough, what I call it, because you know, we, in the early years when, when we all uh, we used to have a lot of major events here. And uh, all the all the guys hated coming to Lake from there. They just hated to deflate because it, you know it just fished so hard. and It was so different. You know, most guys are power fishing. When they like to get on the bank with those jigs and those those spinner baits, crank baits, and stuff. And you just can't hardly do it here. Unless it's early spring, you know. Going back to the question, I just, I just love the fish. I mean, you know, it's a beautiful bass. He fights hard. You know, I I love what it kind of lends itself to, far as technique-wise, light line spinning tackle. You know, all those kinds of techniques, and you know, just fell in love with them. Just fishing for them every day, really. Do spotted
1: bass demonstrate different behaviors, let's say, than their counterparts? You know, the
3: smallmouth and the largemouth. They do. Now you got to take consideration. You, you go to a place like Logan Martin where you're dealing with a Coosa River spot or an Alabama spot, what I call it. We have Kentuckys here. It's a whole different animal. Uh, the Alabama spotted bass over there, the Coosa River spot, they grow big and they got some really nice fish. But those fish have more of a really tendency to, to live quite a bit shallower than our fish. Our fish, except for the spawn, you can target about the 20-foot depth year-round here and catch bass all year-round. And actually, in the winter, we catch them 40 and 50 feet deep. But uh, that fish over there is is a uh, is a kind of a different species, and it has a tendency to want to live more more shallow. And even in the summer. When you catch them cranking and stuff, you know, they'll be up in 10 or 12 foot of water instead of like our fish out in 25. So it is a different fish. It's a little harder to catch because it has a tendency to live offshore, and it also has a real tendency to want to suspend, you know, get out in really deep water, you know, suspend over top of timber that's, you know, let's say it's 60 feet deep and the, the tree comes up to, uh, let's say, 25 foot of the top, and then those fish will suspend over the top of that. So, you know, those kinds of fish tend to be harder to catch. You and I both know that suspended bass are just about as tough a bite as you can have. But there are certain techniques and things you can do to catch them. They're, they're, you know, once you learn those, it's not as hard as most folks want to make it. But I don't know. It's just a different fish. And, you know, it just takes a little more knowledge, I think, a little more time to learn how to catch them. So how do you
1: approach a body of water that has a, a healthy spotted bass? And specifically, we'll even narrow it down a little bit further, you know, the Kentucky spot that has a strong population of Kentucky spotted bass.
3: Well, the number one thing you want to do for sure is you is you want to, you know, get your mindset on on fishing away from the bank away from the shore and also you want to you want to have the mindset of fishing deeper because i can just absolutely tell you that 15 foot is pretty shallow for a spot i mean that's just it's the way it is and especially for kentucky so you want to get the you know the the two things going for you right off the bat is you know you're going to have to really learn your bottom structure go over your gps and your maps uh which gps has revolutionized offshore structure fishing really i mean it's really helped not only spotted bass fishing for all, all kinds of you know deep water structure fishing you know if you learn how to to use that GPS and read it. That knowledge is its just unbelievable what that's done to the fishing industry. But, uh, you know, just get that mindset of, you know, I know I'm going to have to go offshore and fish away from the bank, and I know I'm going to have to fish, you know, probably deeper than I really want to. I'm also going to have to downsize. You know, as a general rule, you're going to have to downsize uh, your lures, your line, your rods, reels, you know, to be very su- successful at uh, catching those Kentuckys.
1: Well, you know, it's its funny you bring that up as far as getting in the mindset of going deeper, because, you know, with me living on Table Rock Lake, it's kind of one of those same, similar situations, and we often joke about that, um, you know, most of the times you need to be fishing for spotted bass where
3: most anglers are setting their boat. That's exactly right. In Table Rock, the spotted bass that you have are the same ones that we have. They're Kentuckys, and I love Table Rock because those fish, I can go to Table Rock in the Immediately start catching you know nice spots because you know they're so similar to this like you know you got a deep clear body of water and you know that those fish there they, they really do tend to suspend a lot you know especially i love going there in february and march when they're biting that, that deep jerk bait you know when i'm jerking that thing out there over that 40 and 50 feet of water and those big spots are coming up eating it But it's the exact same situation that you have at Table Rock uh, that we have here at Lake Lanier. Well,
1: and in closing, you know, what would you say, two things. One is give us your top ways to target spotted bass this time of year and also just maybe throw in there, you know, kind of your opinion if you feel that spotted bass offer more opportunities, you know, given kind of going into the summer months here or less as compared to largemouth and smallmouth?
3: Uh, my favorite, I'd say my favorite favorite uh, summertime technique, you know, I've started playing with uh, a lot of different kinds of swim baits. Swim baits really lend themselves to uh, spotted bass fishing because, you know, it's basically an uh, number one, it's a you know fairly clear water technique. Number two, it's a, a really good open water technique. You know that's two things right there that spotted bass are going to live around. But the uh, you know really the hard swim baits and the soft swim baits, I re- I really like both of them. You know the kind that I can get down four or five feet deep and I actually draw those fish up that may be suspended fifteen or twenty feet deep over the top of the brush piles and the standing timber. For me, that's kind of turning into my go-to uh, deal in the summertime because of the fact that the spotted bass tend to to uh, want to suspend you know that's uh kind of my number one deal right now as far as that now as far as uh the fact that the spots may may uh, lend itself more towards summertime fishing you know i think it i think they do because number one uh you know spotted bass are not to me they're not so uh water temperature oriented in other words uh they don't they don't you know tend to to go uh, 180 degrees like a largemouth does if the water temperature gets warm or hot or this or that. Uh, you know, in the summertime, they get fairly predictable. Uh, once you figure out the depth, main thing with the spot is figuring out what depth it's holding in, whether it is suspended or whether it's uh, glued to the bottom. If you can figure those two things out. You can just about catch those fish all summer long. You know, I think it's a, a actually an easier bass to catch in the summer than than a largemouth is because of the fact that a largemouth just tends to to want to, you know, with any, even a slight weather change, cloudy or, or uh, you know, sunny or whatever, it tends to want to wanna bite different every day, and the spots are more predictable than that. Once you get a set, you know, a set pattern to them, they, they're pretty easy to catch and should be easy to catch all summer long. So... I would say that it's, uh you know if you have a good population of, of spotted bass to me that's that was would be what I would target during the summer,
1: for sure. Well, I think that's great advice, and I also agree. I think it's all about consistency, and certainly the spotted bass kind of lends its way to uh, to anglers having more consistency on the water. Unfortunately, Tom, we have successfully filled our limit, and I need to get us out to a break. But before I do, I just want to uh, wish you luck in the rest of your season, and thanks for being part of the Edge.
3: Aaron, I appreciate it, and uh, hopefully uh, give the folks a little bit of information they can use out there.
2: power productivity speed it's the best trencher ever made not to mention the best plow dumper tiller backhoe stump grinder and tool carrier ever made the zon the revolution is here Now you can harness the full power of your boat electronics and
1: catch more fish. Introducing Electronics 101. Whether a beginner or more advanced, leading electronics instructor Mike Webb shows you how to get the most out of any sonar unit. Common problems and frequently asked questions are covered in detail. Electronics 101 also includes bonus deep fishing tips from industry pros. Master any brand graph. Order your DVD by calling 888-390-8780 or online at BassEdge.com. I'm Travis Ruling and you're
0: listening to Bass Edges, The Edge. Aaron, it was just really great for me to hear from Tom Mann Jr. because, you know, growing up in bass fishing, his father was just synonymous with bass fishing as both a competitive angler and a bait manufacturer. You know, I've thrown many of the Mann's jelly worms, and I used to like their crankbaits because they came out of the box and ran pretty good, and that's kind of before the days before I got too adept at tuning crankbaits.
1: Well, I agree. I mean, I certainly rank, you know, Tom Sr. with really one of the legends and the grandfather of the sport. But, you know, the interesting thing is that we're fortunate in our sport to have so many examples like Tom Mann Jr. You know, I, I rank the Hibdens. I rank the Browers. There's there's mm-hmm. a lot of these um, father-son-daughter, you know, relationships that it, it's really nice to see them um, kind of – carrying the torch and, and really taking it to a different level and making it their own
0: well that that's so true and uh, fishing must just run in the blood because these these young these sons and and relatives that come along are all pretty dead good fishermen following uh, some pretty uh, impressive parents well they are and you know
1: to hear Tom obviously raised there in middle Georgia um, Lake Lanier he's you know a long time successful. Uh, angler but to hear his thoughts on spotted bass you know obviously they hold a a near and dear place in my heart and i love targeting those things but Mm -hmm. i thought he had some just really great points for this time of year and also kind of uh somewhat of a myth buster on some of the things that he discussed
0: oh absolutely i and uh i'm i'm Gonna go back and listen to that interview again because, like you said, our lake is full of spotted bass, and the summer, you know, that's what you're catching. So, uh, uh, the great fish, and, and man, Tom was uh, he was just uh, so articulate in his conversations.
1: Well, you're not gonna have to twist my arm as far as getting down there to try and do one of those shows with him, Steve.
0: <laughs> oh, absolutely. Well, here we got a got a question here, and it's from Mark. Danbury, Connecticut, and Mark Fish is up near Candlewood, which uh, you know we're planning a trip up there real soon. And I'm gonna paraphrase the first part of this because uh, Mark uh, wrote us quite a long question, but uh, generally, he just moved into that area. And just because of uh, various reasons, he doesn't have a boat or a truck to pull a boat right now. And he asked, so it seems to me the best and probably only option is to use an inflatable boat that I can carry around in my car and inflate launch at the boat ramp and use an electric trolling motor to move the boat. His specific question is, how viable is this idea on a large lake with motor boat traffic, such as Candlewood Lake, or basically any similar such lake without much boat traffic? What do I need to take into consideration before I attempt this? Safety first and foremost, and fishing. And then there's a second question he asked: Is there anything that is a must to have on an inflatable boat if I seriously go this route? Well, Mark,
1: uh, great question because you know I, I look back and I think most of us can agree. You know, as anglers, we have to kind of develop a starting point, and where is that going to be? Uh, Let's look at question one as far as how viable of an idea is this uh, concerning boat traffic. I I think that is definitely a legitimate consideration and concern uh, when you're looking at placing an inflatable uh, craft on high boat traffic areas. Now, a couple things. One is, I would suggest taking a map and identifying areas that, you know, perhaps have, uh, no wake buoys. There's, there's a lot of areas out there that obviously you can only run or operate your big motor at an idle speed. So that's going to help out quite a bit. The other thing is as far as, you know, if, if you're Dead set and Candlewood obviously is a great fishery and it's close to your house, then do some research through the map and, and find those ledges and breaks based upon the seasonal patterns of which we find ourselves, you know, here in June. Another uh, great item uh, for consideration is if you think about in the morning and in the evening, two things. One is that's going to maximize... Your opportunities based upon your limited mobility, the other thing is going to do is normally those times of day are when the pleasure boaters are not out in such fierce numbers. so I think those would be some uh, considerations for you to take when considering this inflatable. another option if maybe if you haven 't purchased that inflatable yet, you know there's also uh, some of these these kayaks, and you know I know Hobie actually has one out there that is designed specifically for fishing. Uh, It has uh, the pedals in it that you can actually pedal and navigate yourself around the rod racks. Everything is designed there. So maybe take that into consideration. Moving on to question number two, is there anything that is a must to have on an inflatable boat? I definitely suggest, obviously you got to be legal, but for safety, life jacket, No question, Uh, you need to have a paddle, you know, your whistle and your air horn, all the different things that's required. But I also suggest if you're putting a trolling motor like you speak of to power this thing. Make sure that you have a well-charged battery. The other thing that I'm going to specifically suggest is use an AGM, which is an absorbed glass mat. We've done an interview on here with SuperStart before a few weeks back. But the reason why I want you to have an AGM, A, is they last longer, but also they are completely sealed. Meaning if you hit a wave and that battery turns over in your boat, there is no way that it can spill acid <laughs> on the inflatable which steve as you well know uh that could be serious (laughs) problems that
0: can be a bummer no i where were those batteries when i grew up of course all good advice but i really liked what you said about you know get your map and find you some coves and some access. And I'm a big believer in, in in whatever you're doing, however you're doing something different. There's some kind of advantage to to what you're doing. And I see this this idea of you fishing in an inflatable boat as having the advantage of being portable. I think I can see looking at a lake and identify and maybe go on a scouting trip sometime. Just go look around and sort of keep notes and, and find all several places you can access, and then you can just pick up, throw it in the truck, and head over to that other place. And, and so take advantage of your uh, inflatable there. And, of course, you know, find those coals where there's nobody running around in them and you know this is going to be more effective in the in in the spring and the fall so uh you know think about seasonal patterns too because you you may have difficulty fishing in the summer uh if those fish are out suspended over deep water where uh, you know you don't feel comfortable with your inflatable boat
1: well that's that's a good point and i i think um you know, there's certainly opportunities. We we know that fish obviously hold shallow year round. And I think that's why if, if you kind of maximize the, that morning and that evening, um, you know, that's going to help you out. The other two things that I do want to throw in there that I forgot is... Make sure that uh, you have a patch kit in that that inflatable with you. And the other thing is, since that you're going to already have a 12 volt battery to run the trolling motor, uh, I would strongly suggest a portable 12 volt compressor. That if you do find yourself in a problem out there, you know you can pull over hook that thing up, blow it back up, make the patch, and, and you're on your way again.
0: Oh, absolutely. That's a that's a great idea. And, uh, of course, I, I have one of those, but I blow up air mattresses when I, when I camp and whatnot. But uh, that's a great idea. Well, Aaron, this next segment, I'm a little concerned about this. Uh, it's going to be me and you. <laughs>
1: yeah. Hey, you know, I think we can handle it, Steve. And I'm actually anxious because it's something that, you know, speaks strongly to both of us. And that's really uh-huh. why we wanted to take a whole segment and, you know, get our feedback and and kind of share with uh, the topic of bank fishing
0: well you know we get these questions from from listeners sometime and and you and I sort of chocolate by it's like man we could talk a whole segment about that and we decided to to do that for this next segment Uh, we got a great question from a good friend in California so hang on and we'll be right back
1: Hi, this is Pam Bolton, and you're listening to The Edge. Welcome back to The Edge. You know, as Steve was saying right before break, uh, we get the opportunity to address questions, and oftentimes those questions are well beyond the couple minutes that we can do justice during the Ask the Pro segment. So, uh, Steve, I know you are anxious concerning what we're going to be discussing. Why don't we kind of jump in here and see what you got?
0: Yeah, this is right up yours and mine alley. So, this is from Tyler in California. And Tyler says, hi, I'm a high schooler in Santa Rosa, California, who loves to fish, but I'm not very good at it. I love fishing, but I've caught a fish once this season. I just started fishing last year. I've been fishing six times to my local reservoirs and have been catching weeds instead of fish. I am becoming very disheartened about fishing. I just don't know what to do. My friend gave me this float tube, and I've been fishing from that and still no luck. What should I do? Any tips or suggestions? Uh, I've tried crankbaits, spinnerbaits, Senkos, jigs, and frogs. Aaron, I know you spent a lot of time on a float tube and bank fishing, so help Tyler out. Wow.
1: You know, this is, uh, I am glad actually that you picked a segment to where we can spend ample time because I think Tyler brings up a lot of good points. First off, I'd like to tell Tyler that, you know, although frustration and not having success can be very, very challenging and taxing and it kind of almost makes you want to, you know, throw in the towel. But let me start there by saying frustration can sometimes be a good thing because what it does is it forces you to really kind of get in and figure out uh, what is going on and what is taking place. And Tyler has done that, obviously, by making this request and and kind of giving us a a landscape of of what's going on with him. My first recommendation, Steve, and, and I don't know if you agree with this or not, but don't rule out live bait in your early days of fishing you know Mm -hmm. i I can remember and i'm sure you're the same way you know when i grew up uh, fishing the numerous ponds and streams and that that's really how i was introduced to the sport of fishing and i think uh it does a couple things it builds confidence it helps you locate fish in a particular area that then allows you to go back uh with artificial bait and you know what's what's your thoughts on that do you agree
0: Well, I absolutely agree, and I just want to throw in there, too. I mean, man, hang in there. Don't get frustrated. I will guarantee you we all started off just like you did. I mean – The top pros started off not catching fish. I mean, that's just, I'll tell you that. And so uh, don't get discouraged. Fishing is a wonderful thing, and you learn a little bit every time you go. So so hang in there. I I think the the live bait, now I'm going to identify a little bit different here because I grew up in a saltwater environment, and we fished with – mostly live bait, and we caught it. I mean, we threw, you know, I didn't have the money to b- go buy the bait store and buy live shrimp or live mullet, so we caught them with a the cash net, and uh, so, you know, you've, you've got a, you've got a lot of live bait there in in your local lake in California, be it, you know, shad, crawfish, various brim or bluegill or whatnot. So, uh, so you may try getting you a cast net or a seine and catching you some bait. And I'll tell you what, that's just a, it's a good way to gain confidence and a good way to start off. And you will just sort of very naturally move to like where Aaron and the, and the other guys are fishing artificials down the road.
1: Well, and you know, the other thing I think that live bait does, Steve, what you mentioned is especially if you're catching your own you know that's probably a good place to be looking for that that the bass are going to be hanging around because if if you're trapping that bait yourself don't you think that's probably one of the top three things that bass need for survival
0: absolutely i mean you know one of the things as you learn about bass fishing and you go down you'll be learning a lot of things but one of those things is about the forage or the various things that they eat so uh I think learning to catch that bait is probably a good way to to not only catch fish, but to to learn more about lakes and fish and that sort of thing. But, uh, you know, I, I love hearing him talk about fishing on the bank and fishing with flow tubes. I guess it can be sort of disappointing to stand on the bank and watch somebody's big old shiny bass boat fly by and say, well, that would be cool, but... Man, I just can't tell you in my lifetime how many just fabulous fishing trips I've had catching fish off the bank.
1: Yes, and the other thing that I know, if it was not for my early days of fishing from the bank, and I still love to do this, you know, we talk a lot about being on the lake and moving around and using electronics and all the other hoopla that goes on, but getting back to the roots, I still love heading... To the streams or ponds with a handful of tackle to go and target these and you know one thing i think to throw out to tyler is that okay where is the starting point when you make that transition from live bait to artificials well what do we know we know that worms obviously from a live bait situation we know that your various bait fish uh that is native there in california that you're using in a live bait situation those two things If you apply that on the artificial side and then go back to those areas and maybe take a plastic worm, take a drop shot that you can cast instead of setting over them vertically, those worms are going to give off the same action. The other thing, as far as the bait fish or the brim or whatever it is that you were catching them on in live bait, just go back to matching the hatch. I mean, that's what we talk about all the time. And a matter of fact, that's exactly what we're going to have on the topic next week with Bob Lusk when he goes into matching the hatch.
0: Oh, that's so true. And I, you know, I would like to sort of apply what I said earlier about take advantage of what you're what you're doing. Everything has an advantage and a disadvantage and forgive me if I've said this on the show before but you know my home lake forever was Lake Fork and I was fortunate enough. I had a nice boat and I fished all the time but there was a couple of times during the year uh, I would go during the spawning season and these Florida bass they look for the very back ends of the coves and there's a lot of places where you really can't even get to with boats and I had five or six of these places picked out and from the bank I caught some absolute giant spawning fish off of beds in areas that. Uh, you know, you you couldn't even reach with a boat, and of course these fish had never been messed with at all. So, and they were very eager to take my bait. So, uh, you know, fishing from the bank is a fun way to fish. And you know, it's how we all started. I was talking to Rick Klund not long ago, and uh, you know, asked him how he got started, and he started talking about these little creeks in Oklahoma that he was wading. You know, so I think it's where we all come from.
1: Well, it is. And Steve, quickly, I would like to throw in one other thing. You know, uh, retrace our steps back. to something that you said earlier Um, but it's understanding the seasonal patterns one of the things, you know, what we call the trifecta for bass survival and and thriving, really not only just survival, but thriving is food, comfort, and security Mm -hmm. and when you find the areas and the places of which they have all three just get in there and grind it out try different things and that is ultimately going to produce the results
0: that you desire that's absolutely great advice I would throw in one more thing about finding places to fish from the bank. you know more most of our state agencies have built ponds, lakes, or managed them in a such a way that they are very accessible to bank fishermen, so you may want to go online to your local state agency and and find some of these lakes that are you can fish from the bank i mean they're 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 made for that
1: absolutely good resource tyler thank you so much uh for allowing us to kind of go in depth on talking about fishing from the shoreline steve uh good stuff we need to get to a break and then uh, we've got to wrap this thing up
0: okay my friend we'll talk to you in a minute
2: Now, you can order Bass Edge Seasons 1 and 2 on DVD. Own the best resource for tips and techniques in bass fishing is host Aaron Martin tackles lakes across the country with the industry's top pro anglers, including Edwin Evers, Boyd Duckett, Alton Jones, and Pam Martin-Wells. The two sets include all 25 episodes with never-before-seen footage. Over three hours of bonus pro angler interviews, bloopers, and highlights. Each two-disc set is just $19.95. Call 1-888-390-8780 or order online at BassEdge.com.
1: We have successfully reached our limit today, but before we get out of here, Steve, uh, I think you have something to give away.
0: Yes, we're going to give William in Modesto, California a copy of the Season 2 Bass Edge DVD set. You're going to enjoy that, and we're going to also send along a Bass Edge decal.
1: Well, congratulations, William. You know, it's been kind of a day of the uh, West Coast, so uh, who do we have in store for next week, Steve?
0: Well, one of the most familiar voices in bass fishing from BASS, Mr. Mark Zona, will join us.
1: Well, I look forward to that, and be sure to look for us on Bass Edge Television, seen three times each week on the Outdoor Channel. We can also be found on the World Fishing Network and Wild TV in Canada. Also, log on to BassEdge.com for the latest tips from top pros and a chance to win great prizes. Don't forget, for all of you Facebook and Twitter users, Bass Edge is now on both. Until next time, I am Aaron Martin, and for Steve Brigman and the rest of the Bass Edge crew, we look forward to seeing you again next week right here on The Edge.
2: This week's edition of Bass Edge's The Edge has been brought to you by b Trailer Hitches. Ditch Witch, Keel Guard, O'Reilly Auto Parts, and Legend Boats. For more information on Bass Edge, including our television show, training materials, e-newsletter, and podcast, please visit www.bassedge.com. Be sure to join us next week on The Edge.